Pastors Michael and Brenda Brunzo welcome you and thank you for listening to the following message. This message was recorded during a regular service at Faith Fellowship Church. The Bible tells us in Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So we believe this message will encourage and strengthen you in your daily walk of faith. God bless you as you listen. Bibles, turn with me to Philippians, the third chapter. We're going to get there in a few minutes, but you know, here we are a good two weeks into the new year, 2023, and I'm just getting around to preaching my new year's message. I intended to serve, to, to share it uh, a couple weeks ago when, uh, I guess it was New Year's Eve, a Saturday service we had, and uh, we had a mighty move of God, and the Holy Ghost ministered and moved through this place and touched several people, healed several people, 
set some people free and I never had a chance to preach. Praise the Lord. <laughs> but that's okay because God can have our service anytime he wants to. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. I joke about it, but I said a prayer that day. I said, Lord, just shove me aside and take over this service if you want to. And that's exactly what he did. And, you know, he can do more in five minutes than I can do in a lifetime of preaching. So Amen. we just yield to him and let him have his way yes. when he wants to. Amen? Yes. But anyway, let me say how happy at least Pastor Ed and I are to see this year behind us. Amen. And how happy we are to usher in a new year because New Year's, mean new, new beginnings and new starts. Amen? Amen. And uh, like I said before, we had communion on Christmas Eve or New Year's Eve uh, about 1030 that night. We weren't going to make it till midnight, but we had communion and uh, the reason we had communion was to celebrate new beginnings and celebrate a new year. And we made some commitments and we asked the Lord for some things and then we sealed it by having communion. Of course, we had communion in our service last week, uh, and that's a good way to start off the year. Amen? Amen. But anyway, let me start out by saying that, you know, last year was, I was going to say one of the most challenging years we've ever faced, but I'm going to go ahead and say it. It was the most challenging year that at least Pastor and I ever faced in our entire life, and but as, as challenging as it's been, it was one of the most victorious and rewarding years that we also ever experienced in our entire life. And, you know, God has, has proven himself so strongly to us in this past year. Uh, I mean, he's always proven himself. He's always been strong in our life. He's always been a blessing in our life. And, uh, but it seemed like last year he was just so good to us that we can't even describe how good he was to us or how much we appreciate all that he'd done and, and uh, through it all as hard as last year was God gave us the greatest testimony of healing that we've ever had and that's what overshadows everything is the victories and and the healings and the blessings and uh, the overcoming that we were able to do through God last year but yes. you know when you have a great testimony it's because it came from a great test yeah. And, you know, I've said it before that without the test, all you have is a bunch of moanings. But right. when you have the test and you come through it, now you got a testimony. Yes. And, uh, you know, this isn't really part of my message. I added it while I was studying. I really felt like the Lord told me to share at least a part of our testimony from last year. And uh, I think the reason he wants me to share at least a part of it is because... Uh, I believe it's going to encourage somebody and it's going to help somebody because we didn't go through as tough as it was you know we didn't go through anything that's you know really unusual and, and we all go through things amen and uh, I've heard testimonies that encouraged me and I've heard testimonies that helped me get through some things that I was going through and that's and that's the reason I believe the Lord wants me to share this at least part of it with you this morning and uh, some of it may be familiar to you. I share pieces here and there, and but I'm starting to put it together a little more clarity right now. And uh, But as most of you know, in March of last year, I was diagnosed with two types of cancer. And uh, one was prostate cancer, and the other, I don't know if this started in my prostate and metastasized, but, but it was a, uh, another type of cancer that was very aggressive, and it was moving through my body. And it had already moved into my lymph nodes, and uh, when that happens, they call it stage four. Anyway, when I was diagnosed, they rated my can the, the cancer. I don't want to say my cancer. I'm not claiming that, but they rated the clan the cancer on what's called a Gleason scale, and it's a it's a, some kind of way to to measure the severity of the cancer and what type of cancer it is, and they use different. Uh, information like PSA counts and size of the tumor and uh, 
uh, how it's spreading, how fast it's spreading. And anyway, they come up with a number from six to 10 with 10 being the worst, and mine was a 10. So, you know, stage four cancer, very aggressive type uh, on a, the Gleason scale of 10. And we're sitting in the doctor's office, he's giving us all this news. And so when he was done, we asked him, we said, uh, well, you know, is this treatable? And he hesitated and he said, well, he said, there is treatment for it, but I wish we would have found it sooner. Of course, that's, you know, neither here nor there because uh, I wish we would have found it sooner too, but I never had a symptom of any kind until, you know, I had one little symptom. I was never in any pain or anything. And I went to the doctor for this one symptom I had. And uh, one thing led to another and finally got the test for uh, the prostate. And that's when they found the cancer. But anyway, the answer he gave us wasn't very positive and it sure didn't give us much hope. You know, we're sitting there like, that's not very encouraging. You know, you just told us, yeah, there's treatment for it, but I wish we would have found it sooner. Well, you're telling me right there that, that at least in my interpretation, that uh, the treatment isn't gonna work. But anyway, we left the office and our sons, you know, Mike and Chris were out in the parking lot waiting for us in the car. And so we all got in the same car and we uh, began talking. I'll never forget the conversation we had uh, we told them everything that was going on, and I really thought they were going to try to encourage us and console us. <laughs> and they eventually did, but that's not how it started out. And you know, my son Chris, who has never been one to mince words, I'm not saying he doesn't talk a lot, but certain things he keeps to himself. But if you open the door for it, he's going to tell you how it is. Amen? And he says to me, he said, Dad, he almost sounded like he was a little angry, but I know he was angry at the cancer. He was angry at the report. And he wasn't angry at me, but he said, Dad, you've been healing. You've been preaching healing for most of your life. And he said, well, this is where the rubber meets the road. Either God is your healer or he's not. That's just how he said it. And uh, I have to admit, that wasn't what I was expecting to hear. But it was exactly what I needed. And Mike agreed with him, and then they both said that, Dad, it's your choice. Whatever you decide to do, he says, we'll be behind you 100%. And uh, I'll be real honest with you. At first, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do because uh, we've had a lot of cancer in our family, my wife's family. I've seen people from the start to the end, you know, with, with cancer and the treatments and the uh, excuse me, the H-E-L-L that they went through and then died anyway. I wasn't sure if I wanted that. And uh, so I thought about it for a minute and then I told him, I said, uh, we're going to believe God and we're going to fight this thing with everything we got. I can promise you that. I'll be a good patient. I'll do everything the doctors tell me. I'll take all the medications they tell me and I'll believe God and we'll, we'll fight with everything we got. And so we made an appointment with my primary care physician because I don't get medical treatment of any kind from any other doctor unless I get his approval on it because he's the only one that knows me for 20-something years. He knows my record. He knows all my medication. He knows everything about me. And so even when I was diagnosed with a heart problem uh, several years back, I wouldn't even take the heart medicine until I seen him. And he told me it was okay. So... Uh, and I thank God for him because he is a man of God and uh, he believes the way we do. He believes in divine healing. And he believes that when, when uh, modern medicine and doctors come together and, and uh, uh, God come together, that there's going to be some positive results every time. So anyway, I remember we're sitting in his office and he's looking at the doctor's reports and my test results on his computer because I'm on that... Um, my chart and uh, it makes all of my records available and uh, he's looking at the test results and everything on the computer and after a minute or so he looks up and I'll never forget this he looks up over his computer and he says you can beat this he says 
as though it was some kind of flu or something. He says, yeah, you could beat this. He said, I've had patients that had this same type of aggressive cancer, and they beat it. And he said, besides that, you've got God on your side. And, and I can't tell you how encouraging that was because that was the first encouraging report that we got since the last report that gave us any kind of hope at all, at least in medical science. And uh, so Pastor and I went home encouraged and we put together this barrage of scriptures. I've told you about it before, uh, a barrage of healing scriptures. And to be exact, there's 38 of them. And we began to prepare for what we knew was going to be the battle of our lives. And uh, I'll never forget one of the first scriptures God gave us, a scripture that changed everything. It was in Jeremiah chapter 30, verses 16 and 17 in the Message Bible. God said, as for you, it was like he was talking to me personally. That's the way I felt it. I heard, you know, as for you, mister, I'll come with healing curing the incurable because they all gave up on you and dismissed you as hopeless. That ran through us wild and clear, you know. Uh, and it's one thing to get a positive and encouraging report from your doctor. But when God gives you a positive, encouraging word, it's a whole nother story, you know. And so we were really uh, uh, encouraged by that. And I mean, it was like a game changer for us. You know, just everything began to change at that point. So we've been, con uh, we, we began with that passage of scripture in, in a confession where we said, when medical science calls something incurable, yes. and when they give up on you or dismiss you as hopeless, yes. God will come with healing. Yes. And anytime that yes. something is hopeless with man or with yes. medical science, it's never hopeless with God. It's never impossible for God. So we began to confess that. And then uh, we put all those other scriptures together. And at the end of each scripture, we made a confession for each one of them. All 38 of them. And we confessed them out loud every day before, during, and after my treatment. And to this day, we still confess them. And we also listened to healing messages, read books on healing by Brother Hagen and other uh, Word of Faith teachers. And uh, one of the books that helped us the most was God's Medicine by Trina Hankins, Mark Hankins' wife, and uh, who also has a tremendous testimony of how God healed her of a, a brain tumor. Yes. But on the medical side, we also went through almost five months of chemotherapy, the most aggressive type of chemotherapy that medical science has to offer. And the nurses and the technicians at the cancer center called it the devil's potion. Yeah. Well, if it works, I'll call it God's potion. Because, yeah. you know, I don't have too much faith in the devil's potion. But right. Now, don't get me wrong. We thank God for medical science. And we thank God for the doctors and the nurses and the technicians and all of those that helped us in the medical industry. And uh, they're all wonderful and compassionate, caring people. And they really want to help you, they really want what's best for you. And, and they took excellent care of us. Yes. Never, without any exceptions, any of the time that we were with them, that, that they not give us the best of care. And we had a great oncologist. As a matter of fact, he was in the top three in this region. Came highly recommended. And, uh, but all the doctors, and I, and I believe all the doctors and all the nurses and all the technicians, along with the chemotherapy and the medications, they all did their part and we give them full credit for that uh, and for everything that they've done for us and what they do for everybody because that cancer center is a pitiful place. Uh, you know, there's it's just, you can just feel death in there. You can feel uh, hopelessness in there. You can just feel all these things and, and these people work in that environment every day and so we got to give them credit for that. But when it was all said and done, to God be the glory. You know, yes. they help and they, the medications relieve symptoms and the medications uh, in most cases help with the symptoms and make you feel more comfortable while you're waiting for your healing. Yes. But God is the only healer. Yes. No doctor can heal, no medication can heal, right. no amount of surgery can heal. God is the only one that heals. Right. And so 
I give credit to all these things that help, but God gets the glory for healing me. Amen? Amen. He fulfilled his promise that he made that day. As for you, I'll come with healing, healing the incurable. He fulfilled that promise uh, and, and, and healed me totally and completely of that stage four aggressive type cancer. Yes. And uh, I've had two scans since then, three months apart, and uh, both of them been absolutely 100% clear. And I intend for it to stay that way because God gave us another scripture. He said that this affliction shall not rise upon you a second time. And I claim that scripture. Amen. But whenever a situation seems impossible or seems hopeless, it's never impossible, never hopeless with God. And whether it's healing or anything else, I could say more, but I don't want to turn this into testimony, sir. But anyway, I just felt led to share at least that part of my testimony, our testimony, because my wife went through everything I did. I, mean, I think she had it worse than I did, but, but she went through everything that I did. And so it's our testimony. And, and that's what we left behind in 2022. It, it was, it was a, a pretty rough year. Because, you know, uh, I don't know if you realize it or not, but people that go through chemo, uh, they have lingering effects for a year or so afterwards, you know. And uh, God's speeding things up for me. Uh, I still don't have the vim and vigor and the energy that I had before it, but. I'm getting stronger every day. Yeah. Amen? Yeah. As you can tell, I put all my weight back on. And God give me my hair back. Yeah. <laughs> give me more of it. It's thicker and it's curly. And praise God for that. I mean, <laughs> that chemo was almost worth it just to get some nice hair. <laughs> no. Hallelujah. But anyway, that was all free. And uh, now for the time we have left, I want to share with you what I feel should be our focus for the new year. And I know a lot of preachers and prophets and everybody come out with these predictions and stuff. And I'm not even going to go there. I'm not going to say anything about them because, you know, uh, uh, as long as it comes from God, praise the Lord. But I. I just come up with this one thing that I think would help us as Christians and help the body of Christ tremendously if we would put our focus on this and just do it in this upcoming year and the years we have left before Jesus comes back. But I want to start out with something the Apostle Paul said in the church to the church at Philippi in Philippians 3.13. He says, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. And I really like how the Passion Translation puts it. Paul said, I don't depend on my own strength to accomplish this. However, I do have one compelling focus. I forget all of the past as I fasten my heart to the future instead. So, you know, good or bad, happy or sad, 2022 is behind us now. We have a brand new year in front of us, yes. a blank canvas yes. on which we can paint whatever kind of picture we want on it. Yes. And, and that's what I mean by new beginnings and new starts. Forget some of the old things and just, just have this one compelling focus on the future because the past can't help you. The past doesn't change. The past is history. Yes. But you have a future out there that can help you and yes. can change some things for you. Yes. Amen. And so he's saying, he's not, he's not telling us to forget everything that we've gone through in the past. Because I'll never forget what we went through last year. And I'll never forget the testimony that God gave us last year. He's not telling us to forget those types of things or the good things. I'm sure he's only talking about the things that have the power to hold us back and keep us from moving forward into our future the way that God intends for us to move forward into the future. Jesus said, 
He who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is not even worthy of the kingdom of God. And the reason he said that is because if you keep looking back, you're going to wind up going back. Yes, if you keep on. looking back, yes. you're going to spend all your time back there yes. when you have a bright future in front of you. Yes. So this is what Paul is saying. He's saying have a focus on the future. But he, had, he said have this one compelling focus. Now we know that, you know, our focus is Jesus Christ. And Paul said, and as great as the Apostle Paul was, he never accomplished it. He never reached that full potential in Christ. He says, I have not yet apprehended, but this one thing I do. So he didn't get there. You probably ain't going to get there. I probably ain't going to get there. But we keep on striving. We keep on pushing for the mark of the high calling, which is Christ Jesus. Amen. We never quit that. Whether we attain it in this life or not, we keep pushing. Yes. Yes. We keep uh, focusing on it. Yes. And Paul's emphasis is more on what we focus on than what we remember or forget. I know we have more than one thing to focus on in 2023, but there should be at least one compelling thing that we focus on. Yes. Something that we're compelled to focus on. Uh -huh. And that's what I want to talk about this morning is what I believe should be the one compelling thing that we should focus on in this new year, both as a church, as a believer, and also in our relationships at home and our other relationships even outside of the church. This should be a compelling focus for us. Yes. But before I begin, I'm going to tell you a little story. There was a large group of Christian leaders from several different denominations all over the world, and they gathered in this one big church for a special meeting, and all of a sudden someone shouted, the building is on fire, the building is on fire. And the Methodists gathered in a corner and began to discuss and debate the meaning of fire. The Baptists started yelling, where's the water, where's the water? The Lutherans posted a thesis on the door declaring that fire was evil. The Episcopalians formed a processional and marched out of the building decently and in order. The Catholics took pledges to cover repairs for after the fire. The Christian church meditated on whether or not there was really a fire at all. Pentecostals, well, they prayed in tongues, praised God for the smoke, and declared that it was the glory of the Lord. And the community, non-denominational church, split into three groups, went out and started three churches. I see y'all have serious looks on your face. You don't know whether this is funny or, or what, but I want you to understand this is a hypothetical situation. It's all tongue-in-cheek humor. Uh, and, I mean, after all, we all know it would be impossible to get all these different denominations under the same roof at one time. But my question is this, why is that? Why can't we bring different denominations together in the same building under the same roof? I mentioned that story because it was a little piece of each one of those different denominational doctrines and beliefs that they have. And, uh, but here's the thing, we all have the same common denominator and that's Jesus Christ. Yes. These are all Christ-centered denominations, yes. and we're all Christians. But have you ever wondered why we can't come together in unity and fellowship with one another? I think it's because, as the story pointed out, every denomination has their own doctrines and their own beliefs, and uh, one denomination is really not that much different than the other denominations, but nevertheless, they're different enough to keep us apart. Right. Now, we know it's all the work of the devil because he divides and subtracts. Right. Yes. But we have to cooperate with him. Right. You know, statistically speaking, I say that the doctrinal differences between each of the denominations, uh, that is the things that we disagree on, is about 2% of the total doctrine, maybe a little bit more. But in other words, the charismatic Pentecostals like us 
and the other denominations, we probably agree on 98% of our doctrines and disagree with 2%. But the 2% that we disagree on seems to be enough to keep us apart and cause a certain amount of resentment between denominations. I'm going somewhere with this, so just bear with me. For example, some de denominations believe that you must be water baptized to be saved. And I'm not picking on anyone either. I'm just using this doctrine as an example. And then there, there are those that don't agree with other denominations that teach the doctrine of being filled with the Holy Spirit and speaking in other tongues. And if they were to have a debate today, both sides could come up with some pretty convincing scriptures to prove that they're right in their doctrine. And you would think that we could still come together and simply agree to disagree. But we won't. Then there are certain denominations that don't believe in women preachers or that women can pastor. Again, I'm not picking on any particular denomination, and I'm not debating who's right or wrong. I'm just trying to show you some of the differences that keeps us from coming together in unity. And this is my whole point. Should the 2% that we disagree on be enough to divide us as brothers and sisters in Christ when there's 98% of doctrine that we can come together and agree on? Why is the 2% so powerful? Why is 2% more powerful than 98%? Why do we yield to the 2% and ignore the 98%? And this is not just in the church. But then, I believe it's really because we choose to focus on the 2%. And we let it divide us in spite of the 98% that we seem to be ignoring that we do agree on that can bring us together in unity. You get two people together or two parties together or two denominations together and the conversation will sooner or later come to the, to the place of something that they disagree on. That's where arguments start. Look at families. They could agree on 98% of the things but they try to direct the conversation and everything to the 2% or whatever that they don't agree on, and then you have a big family brawl. Amen. Why is that? Why can't we seem to come together in unity? And this is the main thing that caused the modern day church, if you will, to lose its power and influence. And the main reason the early church that we see in the book of Acts was so powerful is because they started out in unity and accord. Yeah. Unity and one accord. They were in unity. And that's why they had so many signs, wonders, and miracles. Yeah. They were able to come together in agreement. And uh, we're, we're today's church is all over the place. We're all over the place. Even within a denomination, there are differences and, and uh, uh, different beliefs and differences of opinion. And we just choose what we're going to accept and what we're not going to accept. And that's why we have all these factions and diff different de denominations. And God said in the 11th chapter of Genesis, when they were trying to build the Tower of Babel, he said, when the people are united and they all speak the same language, nothing they set out to do will be impossible to them. So he's saying, if you can come together in unity, in one accord and in agreement, that there is nothing impossible for you to accomplish. That's what the early church had. Nothing was impossible for them. Why? Because they were in unity and agreement. The devil didn't have time to cause divisions and factions and cliques. But as soon as he did have enough time, and he was working right from the beginning, he calls them. The apostle Paul was speaking to the church at Ephesus, and he beseeched them to walk worthy of the vocation wherewith they were called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, in other words, humility. He says, forbearing or holding one another up in love. 
He said, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. That's something this organization has that no other organization has, and that's the bond of the spirit. Yeah. And the spirit is trying to bind us in unity yes. and bring us together. Yes. But we have to choose to allow him to do that. Paul said, there is one body and one spirit, even as you are called in one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Why was Paul having to tell the church that? The early church, the fledgling church, the newly born church, and here it is a few years later, and he's already seeing the division in them and the factions, and the differences, and the uh, rebellion, and the, uh, the pushing apart, and he's trying to bring them back together. Hey, we started out one faith, one spirit, one hope, one uh, Lord, uh, and, and they're ignoring him. What happened to that? If, if, if this could be the one compelling focus that we have in this coming year and beyond till Jesus comes, and we could all come together in these last days. We could, eat, we could do even greater works than the early church did. Amen. Why? Because we're, yes. there's more of us now. Yes. But eventually they allowed their flesh and their pride to get in there. And we evolved into the church that we see in the world today. And it pales in comparison to the performance of the early church that was in the book of Acts. This is, this is not a different church. This is the same church that Jesus started. The Holy Ghost came to the earth and started in that upper room on the day of Pentecost. This is the same church. Well, I don't agree with this, and I don't agree with that. And I know what the Bible says, but I feel like, and that's the whole problem, we have too many feelings involved. I don't care what you feel like. It's what the Bible says. It's what the Spirit says. It's what God says. It's what it's what His Word says that counts. Not how you feel or I feel. There's too many feelings involved. But then again, that's that's human nature. We let our feelings get involved, and it seems like we always find fault in other peoples and other movements and other denominations when we should be trying to see what we have in common. What can we agree on? As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul admonished us more than once concerning the differences that we face. He told the early church in Romans 16 and 17, he says, And now, dear brothers and sisters, I'd like to give one final word of caution. Watch out for those who cause divisions and offenses among you. Watch out for those that have feelings. Watch out for those that don't want to agree with the doctrine that I presented to you, the same gospel that I preached to you. Watch out for those people. Why? Because, I mean, that's the way man is. That's the way pride does. We got something good going here, but I got a better idea. Let's do it this way. You say, no, 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 let's stick to the doctrine. Let's stick to the gospel. Let's stick to the word that we were first presented with. And he gets five or ten people agree with him, and off they go. There's a new denomination. Watch for those who cause divisions and offenses among you when they antagonize you by speaking of things that are contrary to the teachings that you've received. Don't be caught in their snares. This Bible hasn't changed since it was written. It's not going to change. Jesus said not one jot or tittle, not one punctuation mark will change. The whole world will pass away before that happens. And yet now we have teachings that are contrary to what we first received. He's saying, watch out for those. And then he says, don't be caught in their snare. Every denomination started as a snare. Man's idea. Some man had a better idea than what we were first taught. 
He also told the early church in 1 Corinthians 1.10, so this seemed to be like a problem that was spreading. And even though these, these letters are addressed to different churches, they all circulated all the churches. They all got to read these letters at one time or another. Yeah. And you know what? Paul would have a dilemma today. He would be in a quandary, quandary today if he had to write a letter to the church because he wouldn't know what church to send it to. He wrote those letters to a church that was in unity at one time. Now he don't know, he wouldn't know who to send it to. But he told them in 1 Corinthians 1.10, I urge you, my brothers and sisters, again, reminding them, your brothers and sisters, for the sake of the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to agree to live in unity with one another and put to rest any division that attempts to tear you apart. Something was tearing them apart. Something was causing division. It was high-minded man that knew better than God. And I'm not saying we all have to be alike. I'm not saying we can't be different. I'm saying that we should not be different than what we first received. Yeah. He says, put to rest any division that attempts to tear you apart. Be restored as one united body living in perfect harmony. Form a consistent choreography, dancing in unity among yourselves, having a common perspective and shared values. That was the, the Passion Translation, 1 Corinthians 1.10. But the early church didn't, didn't listen. They knew better than Paul. They knew better than God. They knew better than the word that was presented to them in the beginning, the gospel that was presented to them in the beginning. And here we are today. This is exactly why we have so many denominations and cliques and factions within the church itself. We listen to contrary teachings that Paul told us not to listen to. And we're still doing it today. You got your choice of preachers on television and Facebook and YouTube and everything. And, and I'm not saying not to listen to them, but I'm saying be careful to what you listen to. Yeah. Make sure you use discernment in who you listen to. Yeah. And know the word of God so that you're not ensnared by these traps that cause division and divide. Yeah. That's why we have so many problems in relationships. Not just in the church, but outside of the church. It's because we can't seem to live in unity or agree to live in unity with one another and put to rest divisions that attempt to tear us apart. That's what we need to focus on in this new year. You know, I used different denominations this morning as an example to show us how divided the body of Christ actually is today, but it doesn't have to be that way. Uh, do you realize what it would do for a troubled marriage or a, or for that matter, a relationship of any kind if we could just agree to live in unity with one another? I'm not saying agree with everything each one of us has to say or do, but at least agree to live in unity with one another. Learn how to agree with the things you can agree with and learn how to disagree and be agreeable in your disagreements. In other words, learn how to agree to disagree sometimes. But, you know, we have divisions and disagreements among ourselves all the time, and this is what causes problems in marriages. Marriages are on the rocks and have divorce and all these other and families broken up because two people couldn't come together and agree. It doesn't have to be that way. It's not only a problem in our marriages, it's a problem in our families, our workplaces, our schools, among friends, and especially in the local church. Uh, businesses rise and fall uh, uh, because uh, business partners either agree or disagree on something. If we could just agree on things and sometimes just agree to disagree, but strive for that unity with one another, uh, we could be restored as the body of Christ, uh, living in per perfect harmony, especially since we have the same thing in common, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. 
Let's rally around him instead of man's different stupid ideas as to what he thinks or what he feels. See, it's not about who's right or wrong. It's about doing what's right no matter what. And there is a right. There is something that's right. And this is what we have to agree to do no matter what. It ain't about who's right or wrong. It's about doing what's right. And it always is and always will be. It has nothing to do with what you think or what you feel. What does God say? How does God feel? You know, Pastor and I made an agreement years ago. I'm not saying when we first got married, but shortly after we got married, I think we were still good little Catholic children going to church and everything on a Sunday. Uh, but we came in and, uh, into agreement about something, and we've stuck to it ever since. Uh, we, we said that no matter what our disagreement is, we will always allow the Word of God to be our umpire, our referee, and our tiebreaker. Well, I don't agree with that. Well, I don't agree with you. All right, let's go to the Word. Let's see what God says about it. And I'm telling you, I've been red-faced more times than I wanted to be. But I made that commitment that once you show me in the Word of God that I'm wrong, she's been wrong a couple times, too. We agreed to disagree with what we think or feel, and we decided to go with the Word of God no matter what it was. And that's what the church should do. All right, you feel this way and you feel this way. Well, what does the Word of God say? You know, if you knew the word of God, there would be no need for counseling of any kind. Come on. The only counseling you you should get is that when you come to the office, say, we need counseling. All right, here's your counsel. Do the word. Yes. Look it up for yourself and find out what's right and do it. It's all the counseling you need. This is what I'm calling us all to do this year. I know you got other things to focus on. I know you got a lot of responsibilities, but I'm calling this to be our one compelling focus, like the Apostle Paul said. Let's just be our one compelling focus that we strive for unity within the body of Christ, within this church, within yeah. one another, yeah. and come together in these last days Amen. and save some marriages and save some relationships yeah. and save some churches. Yeah. We got so many denominations now, you couldn't keep up with them all. We got denominations within denominations. We got this central, south, west. <laughs> we just got denominations within the denominations. You know there's different types of Baptists, there's different types of Catholics. I know you think, you know, Catholic actually means unity, uh, but you think if anybody had it together, it would be the Catholics, and yet they have factions in the Catholic Church. You know, you got you got tongue-talking priests yeah. that have been filled with the Holy Spirit, yes. Yes. but they're not accepted by the ones that don't believe in that. That's right. You got Catholics that still want to do masses in Latin, yeah. and you got Catholics that want to have a band up there and have a live worship service and uh, you know joyful worship. And you have some that don't believe in nothing but an order. It's yes. factions within yes. denominations. Yes. That shouldn't be. Right. Either you're a Catholic or you ain't. Right. And you got one head of the Catholic Church, they should all fall under that. Right. They should actually fall under the leadership of Jesus Christ right. and the Holy Ghost. Right. But, you know, you got something that keeps you together. Right. It should be the Holy Spirit that keeps everybody together and in agreement. But we don't have that. Psalms 133 and 1 says, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It's pleasant. Yes. And Jesus prayed an interesting prayer in John chapter 17. You're probably familiar with it. I'm going to read it anyway. John 17, 20 through 23. Neither pray I for these alone, his disciples, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word, the disciples' words, the preaching of the gospel. That's you and I. That they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us. 
that the world may believe that thou hast sent me and the glory which thou gavest me, I have given them that they, be, they, be, they may be one even as we are one. I in them and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one. Are you starting to see a theme here? And that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hath loved them as thou hast loved me. How? By the oneness that we have. By the unity that we have. This is how we know that he was sent by God. Who else could bring some enormous group like the church, organization like the church together besides Jesus Christ? So we should be drawn together in unity on Christ alone. He should be the common core that binds us all together in love and unity every day, not just the days that you feel like it. And I don't care if we disagree on certain things or not, we're still brothers and sisters in Christ. He, uh, God is our Father, Jesus Christ is our brother and our Lord and Savior, and we have the unity of the Spirit that brings us all together. What else do we need? We shouldn't let our differences divide us. Whether it's in the church or at home. At the workplace, at school, anywhere. I mean, we, we both love Jesus, and if we make him our focus, then we're going to begin to come together in unity and one accord, just like the Lord prayed that we would. And I believe the Lord's prayers get answered, don't you? I mean, do you think Jesus prayed that prayer in faith? Yeah. I know he did. And, and so whether you like it or not, whether uh, don't make it there's how you feel about it, you might as well get used to it and get started on it now because we're going to come together like it or not. Amen. Jesus prayed we would. And that's when we're going to have successful relationships, in and out of the church, that's when we're going to come into unity and accord and we're going to see the, some of the things that we've seen in the early church in the book of Acts. Just read the book of Acts, the things that were going on in that early church. The miracles and the signs and the wonders and the healings and the deliverances and the devils that were cast out. We have it now, but not like they had it. And the only common denominator was the fact that they were in unity and one accord. So instead of being divided by our little 2% differences, we should be coming together and celebrating the 98% that we have in common. And it's the same thing in, the, in, in a marriage. You guys probably agree on 98% of things. But what do you focus on? The 2% you don't agree on. And, and if the devil can see that working in your marriage, he'll get a foothold. Yes. And he'll magnify it until it's the most important thing in your right. life. Amen. It's time we kick him out and invite Jesus in. So let's make a commitment for this new year. Let's make a commitment that we're going to do everything in our power to bring unity and oneness, not only to the body of Christ, but also to every relationship that we're involved in, especially in our marriage relationship. Let's focus on loving one another in spite of our differences and disagreements. I think this would be a good thing to take into the new year. I think this should be the compelling focus that we have going into the new year. Now, here's the part you're not going to like. You know, it's nice to talk about these things, but then we got to become a doer of the things. <laughs> so I'm going to say this. Before this day ends, tell someone you love them. Especially someone that you don't agree with and don't agree with you. And if there's anything between you that divides, there's something in there that you've allowed the devil to cause division, Put it behind you, like Paul said, and repair it going into the future. Repair your relationship. That was Paul's compelling focus. I know I embellished on it and went in a different direction. 
with it, but his compelling focus was to forget the things behind and to concentrate and focus on the things that are in the future. Because like I said, you can't change nothing behind you. You can learn from it, but it's history. Nothing that happened in your past should affect your future. It does, however, when you allow it to. When you choose to let it affect your future. When you take that baggage that you got no business carrying and bring it into your future, it is going to affect you. But leave it back there where it belongs. Pick and choose what you bring into your future. Pick those good memories and bring them into your future. Pick those battles that you had that you had great victories with and bring them to your future so you can remind yourself of how good God has been to you in the past. But that junk that's going to pull at you and drag you back, leave it there. That's baggage, dead baggage. Put it behind you and focus on the future. Let's welcome the new year with a new faith, a new confidence, and a new commitment that's going to not only be for this new year, but we'll call this preparation and practice for the years beyond, should the Lord tarry. This might be something new for us working on these things. But we can do it. Amen? Amen. Let's make up our minds that we're going to accomplish everything that God placed on your heart to accomplish in this new year. We're going to accomplish it. It might not be everything that God has placed on your heart, but just accomplish the things that he placed on your heart to accomplish this year. And then next year we'll worry about that year when we get to it. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you and we praise you for the word of God. Thank you, Father. As a matter of fact, in the book of Job, you called it an umpire. You said that uh, Jesus Christ, the word, was our umpire. Jesus Christ should be the one that breaks every tie. It's what he says and what he put in the word for us that should tell us what's right and wrong and tell us which which direction to go and what to agree on and what to disagree on. And Father, place it in our hearts that we're going to strive to repair relationships. We are going to strive to fix things that are broken and especially come together as a church. We may not be able to get the other denominations together in 2023, and maybe we can. I don't know. But we can certainly get our denomination together. We can certainly get this church together and operate this church in unity and one accord and start seeing the things and experience the things that the early church experienced. I know we can do that. We've seen the last couple, three weeks of what the unity of the spirit can accomplish in a, in a little church. And we want more of that, Lord, but I know that you're showing us we have to do our part. You said, having done all to stand, stand therefore. So we want to do our part. We want to do all that we can do before we stand. But once we accomplish that and we bring this together in unity and one accord, then all we have to do is stand and watch you perform the rest. Like Moses said at the Red Sea, he said, stand and behold the glory of the Lord. Boy, you showed yourself strong to him. And I believe you'll do it here too. So I pray for every broken relationship. I pray for the sin of pride to be broken in every relationship where it has caused division and strife. And I pray just like Jesus did, that we all come together in one as you and Jesus are one. And the Holy Spirit is one. That we can come together as one like that. I know we can do it because you said we could. And you wouldn't tell us that we could do something we couldn't do. So we thank you for it. We give you glory and praise for it. And we look forward to good things in 2023. 2023 is the year for me. And the year for each one of us. If we choose it to be so. Thank you, Lord. We love you and appreciate you. We ask all these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. And amen. Hallelujah.
God bless you guys. Uh, if you're staying for prayer, please stick around. If not, we'll see you Wednesday or next Sunday. This concludes this message. Thank you for listening. We pray that it's been a blessing to you. For more information about FFC or its ministries, please contact the church office. God bless you, and remember, Jesus is Lord.